Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. Uh, last week, uh, Jacob, the, the Israelites, um, have made their way to Egypt. They're staying in Goshen. And Jacob makes Joseph swear to him that he will bury him in Canaan with his forefathers. Um, and here, uh, he... he he knows he's close to death, and he wants to make sure his people do not stay in Egypt but return to the promised land. And so here we see um, the rest of the book is pretty much about his, fi- his final steps a- as he's dying. And so let's read uh, chapter 48, verse 1. Um, Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now, as Jacob grows close to death, Joseph takes his two sons that were born to him in Egypt, Ephraim and Manasseh, to visit his father, Jacob. And here we see Jacob repeat the blessing to Joseph that had been given to his father and his father that came from God to Abraham. It's the same one that was given to Abraham, but this blessing differs a bit from what God had said to Jacob at Bethel. If you look in Genesis 35, 11, it says, And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I give to Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. God himself speaks to Jacob and repeats the blessing given to Abraham. But in this version, God gives Jacob a directive. In in Genesis 35, it says, Be fruitful and increase in number. But when Jacob passes on the blessing, he says, God appeared to me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. Not be fruitful and multiply. He says, I will make you fruitful and increase your numbers. And this mirrors exactly what God told Abraham when he said, I will do it. These statements go together. See, God gives us a directive. Go and tell the nation. He gives us work to do that we have to participate in. There there needs to be action on our part, an action of obedience of simple, simply doing what he tells us to do, but he does the work. He does the work. He causes us to be fruitful and increase. And here at the end, Jacob is telling his son, God has done all this for us. Everything you see, we may have done the work in our eyes. We, we have participated and we've been obedient, but God has done all this. this. God's blessing has caused us to prosper. And this same blessing is, is on you. I'm passing on to you. And if we pick up in verse 5, Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they inherit, they will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. 
Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and crossed his arms, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this, is the, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So the first thing I want to address is actually at the end of the chapter because um, it's the, the one that's a little bit um, more unrelated. He gives them this ridge of land at the end um, that he says he took from the Amorites with his sword and with his bow. Um, and we have no record that fits, that no story that fits this exactly. Um, and we may wonder, perhaps he was growing a little senile. You know, I remember my grandma, um, as she was getting older, she'd be like, yep, I remember this time I was out with my good friend Frankie. And we went down here, and, uh, and you're like, Frankie, who's Frankie? And she's like, oh, Frankie Sinatra. And then, like, and then, or she'd quote something, and you'd be like, yeah, I remember that. You're like, this is a movie. This is a movie you're quoting, right? But this isn't what's happening here. There's a, and there's a few different theories. So the word he uses for ridge of land, Shechem, which is the same name as the town that Simeon and Levi destroyed. And Joseph's bones are buried there. Perhaps this is what he means. Um, there's also a record of him buying land from the children of Hamor, the father of Shechem, in that same area in Genesis 33. Um, but that wasn't taken with the sword or the bow. And when Simeon and Levi went and attacked Shechem with the sword and the bow, uh, Jacob wasn't very happy about it, and he didn't participate in it. So most likely, in my opinion, what occurred is, is he's telling Joseph about a battle that just isn't listed. You know, there's, there's parts of his life that, that isn't listed in the Bible, and we think that, um, or I think, it just wasn't of great importance, and so now we're finding out about it now. Um, now let's go back to verse 5. Here we see Joseph bringing Ephraim and Manasseh's two sons before his father. And Jacob tells Joseph that both of these sons will be reckoned as his. He's adopting them fully as sons of his own, just as Reuben, and he says, just as Reuben and Simeon are mine, they are mine. 
And, and in this time, it's fairly common for people to be adopted into a tribe or family to become part of the family. Um, in fact, Genesis has been full of conquered people who've been adopted into the tribe. But this is a little different. Jacob had 51 other grandsons in Goshen, but he only adopted Ephraim and Manasseh as his own children with full legal status as sons and full benefits as sons. And by doing this, he's cleverly, he's giving Joseph a double portion. He's giving Joseph's family a double portion. His family will get twice as much land in the inheritance when Jacob dies. See, every brother is going to get one twelfth except for Joseph, as his family will now inherit two twelfths of the land. And the land we're talking about isn't Goshen. We're talking about their inheritance of the promised land, the true inheritance. And if you're excellent at math, or if you're uh, elementary in math, you may think, okay, well, hold on. There's already 12 sons. There, get out of here. All right, there's 12 tribes. That was a rat. I was just kicking at it. Um, there's already 12 tribes, and they just added two. So shouldn't there be 14 tribes of Israel, right? Uh, how, how does that work out? Well, Joseph, I'm just going to tell you, when Joseph, uh, is, when it's passed on to his sons, Joseph is removed. There's no tribe of Joseph. Uh, you, don't, you don't see the tribe of Joseph listed when they're talking about the Israelites. And if they do talk about the tribe of Joseph, usually it's talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. It's just another term for both of them. So now that we've removed Joseph, that brings us down to 13. But the Levites will be set apart by God to be his priests. And so they're not given an allotment of land uh, to themselves. They're separated. They're divided up amongst the other tribes. So Levites are not a tribe unto themselves. They serve God. They minister to the other tribes. They're given small portions of land within the other tribes where they can live, and they're given allotments of the sacrifices, but they will not be their own tribe. Um, and this is how Ephraim and Manasseh are adopted, and there are still only 12 tribes of Israel. And so after Joseph adopts uh, the children as his own, he mentions Rachel, his wife, who has died, showing his undying love for her. He's still thinking about her. And then Ephraim and Manasseh are brought close so that Jacob can bless them. I don't know if you noticed, but in the last paragraph, when he adopts them, before he's giving the blessing, he says Ephraim and Manasseh, using Ephraim's name first. But Manasseh is the elder, so this isn't how you would typically say it. So we get kind of a glimpse into Jacob's mind concerning the blessing. And they approach Jacob, and Jacob asks, who are these? And it's not like he doesn't know them. Like, who are these? Who are these kids you're bringing in? They're cuties. It's not like he forgot who they were, right? It tells us in verse 10 that his eyes are failing him. And he wants to be sure of which is which, because if you remember, his father's eyes were failing him when he came in and were like, feel how hairy my skin is. I'm Esau, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't think he's afraid that they're trying to trick him. I think he wants to, he has come to understand the importance of the blessing and the importance of obedience to God and doing what God wants. And what God wants is different from what man wants. And so he wants to be sure that he is giving out the blessing to the right person. And so as he kisses and embraces his grandsons, Joseph's children, the son, I mean, he, I'm sure that, you know, lying on his deathbed or being close to death, sitting here, this is the son I thought I never would see again. And here I am with my grandsons, his sons. 
And you know he's just sitting there thinking, how good is God? How good is God? The son I thought I would never, ever see again. I thought he was dead. He's restored to me. And here I am with his sons. His name has been passed on. So he recounts God's goodness. It seems at this point, if you remember last time he recounted his life to Pharaoh, what did he say? He's like, my years have been few compared to his father's and they've been hard. They've been very hard. And here we see, as they're brought close, that he's just like, man, he's had some time to look back and say, God has been good. In spite of it all, in spite of the things I did, in spite of how far I went from God, God has been good and God has been faithful. And he, he describes his life a little differently. And then as the boys are brought close, Ephraim is placed by Jacob's left hand and Manasseh on his right because the right would be the, the, the main blessing, right? The, the oldest son. But Jacob crosses his hands to, to do the opposite. Now that he is sure which is which. Which are these? Okay, this is, this is Ephraim. This is Manasseh. And he crosses his hands to give the firstborn blessing to the younger one, Ephraim. And this really shows how much he's changed. He had tricked his father to, to take the birthright, and now he's being so intentional to ensure what is done here is exactly what God wants. That's he's blessing the exact son with the exact blessing, and then he begins to bless them. And in verse 16, he says, God has delivered me or, or he redeemed me in some versions. And this is the first time that God is mentioned as a redeemer or a savior or a deliverer. And then he says in verse 13, may he bless these boys or lads. And the word that he uses for bless when he blesses them is barak. And the root of this word, barak, which he uses to bless, the root of that word is to kneel. To kneel, to bless. If you look this up in the, in the Strong Concordance, it's the same thing. Isn't it interesting that kneeling is the root of being blessed by God? Kneeling is imperative to blessing. Kneeling before God, approaching him with humility and reverence as your God and king is essential to the blessing of God. Now I'm going to bless you. I will make you fruitful and give you increase when, when you kneel before me, when you give your life to me. God wants to bless us, to cause us to be fruitful and multiply, but there's a directive of obedience that we always get wrong. There's a directive of obedience that comes with the blessing. And Jacob under, has discovered this, that it takes being on your knees to get the blessing of God, right? It took being afraid so long ago that his brother was going to kill him and his entire family. It took wrestling with God, wrestling with an angel for Jacob finally to bow the knee. It took a long time before he would bow his knee. And finally, when he bowed his knee, the blessing came. He took hold of his inheritance. And so he understands the importance of kneeling before God with inheriting the blessing of God. And he is being obedient here to God, giving the blessing to Ephraim over Manasseh, knowing that it might bring trouble, knowing that his son might be a little upset with him. Because he knows firsthand the turmoil this can cause when you give the blessing to the, the wrong person by man's determination. 
And Joseph thinks his father is mistaken. And he's like, dad, dad, wait, you've got, you're, you're mixed up. You're, you're blessing the wrong kid. Your right hand is on Ephraim. And Jacob responds, I know, I know my son, I know. And Manasseh will become a people too. He will be a people and he will be great. I'm not removing blessing from him, but his younger brother, Ephraim, will be greater than he. And his descendants will be a group of nations. His descendants will be a group of nations. And so he blessed them and put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. And this does happen. What he says that he will be stronger than Manasseh. Ephraim does become greater than Manasseh. In fact, when Israel is split into two nations, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, after the death of Solomon, becomes the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And Judah consists of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and, and, and some Levites, but, but Judah basically swallows up Benjamin into itself. And the kingdom of Israel is all the other tribes who basically get swallowed up into Ephraim. In fact, so much so that Ephraim and Israel become synonymous. When all the prophets, when you look in the Bible and, it's, and you see Hosea, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, when they talk about Ephraim, oh you Ephraim, they're talking about Israel. They'll say Ephraim when talking about the northern ten tribes. So he does become greater and he does become a group of nations as Ephraim becomes synonymous with Israel, the northern kingdom. But that is not what Jacob is saying, that he will become a group of Israelite nations. When he says that Ephraim will become a group of nations, the actual words he uses are male ha goyim, which male means fullness, and goyim means Gentile or heathen people or nations. So Jacob is saying that Ephraim will become a group of Gentile nations. What does that mean? I'm so glad you asked. Does this happen? Let's look at it. And guys, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to look at, at some verses that are in chapters. And like to be concise, I'm just going to point out the things that kind of what I'm talking about. If you want to go through and read all of Hosea or kind of go on and continue and see what's happening, you're welcome to do that. Um, and it's very interesting. But in Hosea, Hosea is prophesying about Ephraim, meaning the northern kingdom of Israel. And he goes back and forth, you can see this, between calling them Ephraim and calling them Israel, telling them that God is about to judge them, basically for mixing with the nations. God is judging them for mixing with the nations. It tells us in uh, chapter 7, verse 8, that they were sacrificing to Baal, chasing after foreign gods, becoming like the people around them. They've abandoned God. They become like the nations around them. So God says, you want to be like the nations around you? You want, you want to abandon me? You want to follow their practices? You want, then you want to walk away from me? I will allow it. I will allow it. And it says in Hosea eleven five, what will happen to them? When, when God is telling them, it says, Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them, because they refuse to repent? And just as God told them through Hosea, they're conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians scatter them. The Assyrians and the, and the Babylonians, who conquer um, later, which we'll talk about, they, they did things differently. And the Assyrians, when they conquered people, they, they wanted them to like lose their identity, to just get 
just get involved in their uh, community. Just to forget who you are. We're just going to mix them throughout everybody so that they can't like bind together and like become a different people or revolt, right? So they mix them out within 120 of their conquered nations and they will lose their identity in these nations. They will lose their identity. In fact, they're called the 10 lost tribes of Israel. The 10 tribes of the northern kingdom are lost. Israel today, that we call the Jews, are only the two tribes from the kingdom of Judah. That's how you got Jews and Judah. They are of Judah. That's who the Israelites are today. It's just the southern kingdom. It was not conquered. The southern kingdom was not conquered by the Assyrians. They paid fealty and they kept their own separate kingdom. And later, when the southern kingdom of Judah is conquered, it's conquered by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians, they took some to Babylon, but they allowed them in Babylon to stick together, to, to have their own uh, community. And they did leave some in Israel. And the tribe of Judah, see where Ephraim wanted to mix with the nations, Judah wanted to stay together. They wanted to hold on to their heritage and hold on to who they were. And so even though they're conquered, by the Babylonians, the Babylonians allow them, because the Babylonians were different in how they treated people that were conquered, they allowed them to stay together. And so they do not forget who they are. They don't forget their practices. They, they're still keeping track of their genealogy, right? But the kingdom of Ephraim have been mixed in with the Gentile nations, in effect, becoming Gentiles themselves. He truly becomes the fullness of Gentile nations. But things aren't over for the people of Ephraim. In the Bible, it will often refer to the whole house or, or the two houses. And when it's talking about the whole house, it means everybody. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, all 12 tribes, the whole house. And when they're talking about the two houses, it's talking about Ephraim and Judah, the two houses. And they'll constantly talk about the two different houses, bringing them together in the whole house. And there are prophecies that now that we know what that, that concern the two houses. And if you would, turn to Ezekiel 37. This is a very uh, famous one. We see this all the time, um, or we read this all the time. You might be like, I don't know what he's talking about, but then when I read it, you'll see. Um, this is actually the Valley of Dry Bones, Valley of Dry Bones prophecy from Ezekiel. And we always talk about the Dry Bones passage. Um, but in verse... Uh, I'll give y'all time because y'all don't have yours like pinned like my like me. Um, and verse 15 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and the Israelites associated with him. Then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. Join them together into one stick so that they will become one in your hand. When your people ask you, won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him and join it to Judah's stick. I will make them into a single stick of wood and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks you have written on and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and they will never again be two nations or be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses, for I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. So this is talking about the future. He says, he says I'm going to bring the tribes of Israel, and I'm going to bring the tribes of Joseph, Ephraim and Joseph, and bring them back together as one kingdom under one king with one God, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this can happen different ways. This is actually kind of interesting. Some people, some people in Gentile nations are starting to discover their heritage that comes from Israel, and they petitioned Israel like 15 years ago, to begin to start returning to Israel. Some of these lost tribes of Ephraim are discovering who they are, and they're starting to return to Israel. But that's not all that's happening here. Because, man, God, there's so much depth to what God is doing. There's something happening in the physical. There's something happening in the spiritual. There's so much happening. So, yes, I believe the physical tribes of Ephraim will be be brought back to God, but also... If we look in Ephesians 2, 11, it says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, we see him talking about these two different peoples being brought together under one house. But this time, Paul is talking about the the Israelites, the Jews, and the Gentiles. Is this two different things? Where God, where, where through Ezekiel, he's saying, we're, I'm going to bring these two different um, Israelite tribes and bring them together and make the whole house? Or is it what Paul is saying, where he's saying, I'm going to take the Israelites, the Jews, and the Gentiles and bring them together under one house? Well, while I did say the kingdom of Ephraim is returning into the fold, this also represents the Gentiles of the nations coming to him, creating a new people, a new Israel. Because Paul says that we are, we are the spiritual Israel. 
not physical, but both Jews and Gentiles are brought together to be the spiritual Israel, as Paul states in Galatians, not to replace the Jews and the people of God, but to come together. It says in Galatians 3.26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Don't get lost in that. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And we see this throughout the Bible from beginning to end. If you will turn with me, I was going to read this, but turn with me to Revelation. It's the last book. Um, Revelation chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Note these names as we go through them. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulon, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. There's no Ephraim there. Manasseh is listed. But instead of Ephraim, it says Joseph. What does that mean? See, since Manasseh is already mentioned, when he talks about the tribe of Joseph, who else could he be talking about but the physical tribe of Ephraim that will be brought back from wherever they're lost into the tribe of Israel? But what happens with Ephraim? Why say the tribe of Joseph and not the tribe of Ephraim there. Where is the tribe of Ephraim? In verse 9, I hope you all get this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever Amen. This multitude that is not mentioned before is not mentioned because Ephraim was to become a fullness of Gentile nations. Who is who? Us. We become the fullness of Gentile nations that is Ephraim grafted in. And Ephraim is still there because they're the tribe of Joseph. 
but we are grafted in from beginning to end. God has been working out a way to bring his people close, to bring all people close, to bring us close from beginning to end. This whole thing ties together. And this is the word of God. And the whole point of it from beginning to end is bringing his people close to him. This whole thing is written so we know the word of the Lord. We are important to him. We are loved by him. This whole thing, since he made us and put us on this earth, has been to bring us close. And we see it in the end. We're grafted in. He names the tribes that everyone knows. And he says, but wait. And then I look out and I see a great. He's listing. There's 12,000 here, 12,000 there. If he can count 12,000, that's amazing. He's amazing at math. But he's naming the numbers of every tribe. But then he looks out and it's greater. And he says, but then I look beyond and I see a great multitude of every people, from every tribe, from every nation, and every tongue coming before the Lord to worship him, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Man, I just, this, this makes me want to worship God. It makes me want to praise God for his goodness from beginning to end. From beginning to end, throughout the world and throughout our lives, from beginning to end. It is about making a way to bring us close. That is what God is about. So when we praise God and when we say, man, you're going through something, well, God is faithful and God is good. This is not just something we've made up and something we say. It's because I've seen and we can see over and over again from beginning to end, God is working to bring us, not just to him, but to bring us close. Lord, we just thank you and we praise you that you are so good. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you would work so much to bring us close. Lord, you say over and over, if it just been for one of us, it would be done. You love us that much. I just pray that you would continue to reveal to us how good you are, that we could accept in our hearts how good you are, because we can hear it over and over again, we can see it over and over again, but somehow we just think we're disqualified from it, or, or it can't mean us. Lord, help us to accept your goodness. Help us to accept your faithfulness. Help us to accept your word as true. Help us to not just hear your voice when you call, Lord, but to understand your love and your power, Lord. And we thank you that from beginning to end, you work to bring us close, Lord. And I just pray that as your people, that we can do the same thing and work from beginning to end for your glory. That we could kneel before you, Lord under the blessing of God and praise you forever and ever and ever. Be to our God. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.